Hey guys, you got Christina Gilchrist here, also known as the Dialysis Warrior Blind Chick. And I'm here with my Moosey boy, my Moose the Pomsky service dog. And. Hey, uh, what about me? Oh, yeah, I have Michael Gilchrist is here. The caretaker. And this is Living on Dialysis podcast. And this is a disclaimer we are not doctors. This is just the opinion of Living on Dialysis Facebook group. And always follow up any advice you have with your team and your doctors. And again, this is just an opinion. So if you don't like it, tell me yours. Bye. Hi guys, this is Christina Gilchrist. And Michael Gilchrist. And we are Living Living on on Dialysis. Dialysis. And I'm super duper duper excited today because we have Uncle Jim Myers and I've been told he's the good looking one. So ladies, just in case. Absolutely. And I uh, just want to thank Jim Myers for doing this. He's been one of my admins on Living on Dialysis Group. And uh, Jim, go ahead and take it away. Hello, everybody. It's your Uncle Jim. How's everyone doing tonight? Good. So Michael and Christina called me. They, they asked me to tell my kidney story. So um, here's what it, what it looks like. Uh, I'm from uh, Hammond, Indiana. Uh, I have polycystic kidney disease, and I've had it for 41 years. Wow. Damn. I was diagnosed when I was 25. I went on dialysis when I was 58. I was transplanted at IU Health in Indianapolis at the age of 62. I'm currently 67 years old, and I've been on dialysis for almost six and a half years now. My my transplant date was April 27th, uh, 2016. I'm a pretty active uh, kidney advocate. Uh, You've probably seen me on social media, primarily on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, I've lost five members of my family to PKD, including my father. My father was my inspiration to become a, a kidney advocate. I advocate for groups like the National Kidney Foundation, the American Association of kidney patients, the Polycystic Kidney Disease Foundation, uh, the American Kidney Fund, and the Chronic Disease Coalition. So, guys, feel free to ask questions. Okay, so I I have a question for you. Actually, first off, thank you so much. That is so incredible that you, having gone through all of this and having family members go through this, and you're still trying to make everybody else's lives better, that's incredible, Jim. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I try very hard to raise awareness and to educate. You do amazing at that. Um, so what, what dialysis were you on when you did, do it, when you did dialysis? I, I was on in-center hemodialysis. I was suffering from vertigo periodically oh, wow. at that time. So I really needed more hands-on personal supervision um, than I could get from uh, home dialysis or peritoneal dialysis. At 
at that time they gave you a machine, a bunch of supplies, and an 800 number. Right. Yeah. And, and that didn't exactly make me feel warm and fuzzy while my head was spinning around. So. Yeah, no. That's kind of how our experience was at the very beginning of PD as well. Um, so when you had your transplant, what, did you know who your uh, transplant was from, or was it cadaveric, or...? No, it, it, it was a cadaver uh, transplant, and I did I did not know who it's from. I've written most every year on my uh, kidney anniversary to uh, wow. the, the the group in Indiana that handles that, with hope that my donor's family would respond. And so far, I I haven't gotten a response. So I have no idea who it is and I, I did ask my transplant surgeon dr william goggins if he could give me a clue and he said something to me to the effect of somebody between eight and 80 years old oh wow <laughs> so, See, I, so it's real specific. it's really interesting because with me um when i had my brother's kidney i felt a lot of guilt and anytime i'd hear him cough or hear he was sick or anything i i felt like I had something to do with it. So when I got my second transplant, I was kind of adamant on, I didn't want that person to respond to me. So I did send an initial letter after a year, but I didn't put any of my personal information in it so they couldn't contact me. Okay. I, I understand that uh, feeling about guilt, Christina, my guilt has been a little different than yours, and, and I have an interesting story to tell about that. I have a son. He's uh, 33 years old now. He works for the Cincinnati Reds. He handles all of their collectibles, oh. uh, that, that type of thing. Um, as he was growing up, I was always concerned that I had transmitted polycystic kidney disease to him because EKD is, you know, is transmitted uh, genetically yeah. between, between family members. And he told me at one point in time, he said, Dad, I'm going to go get tested. I'm 30 years old now, and I'm going to see if I had PKD. And, and uh, you know, I'll meet you at the Outback restaurant in Merrillville on such and such a day and time, and, and we'll talk about it. Well, you, you you know, Christina, you know your Uncle Jim. I had my speech all planned. Yeah. You know, I I know what to do. I know where to send you. I know who you should talk to. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be afraid, blah, 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 blah. And my son comes bouncing into the restaurant on his uh, tiptoes and throws himself into the seat in the booth across from me and leans up on his uh, hands and elbows and with a big shit-eating grin on his face. And he says to me, Dad, I don't have it. Ah, oh, that's amazing. So yeah, I, I, that lifted a burden off of me that I had been carrying around all of this young man's life. And, oh, uh, wow. I, I, I can't tell you how happy I felt that, that, at that moment. But That is that, incredible. I am so happy for you. No, thank you, Christina. That's that's something that a lot of PKD patients go through, the, the concern about whether or not they've passed this on to their 
progeny. You know, yeah. have I given this to my children? I was concerned about that as well, but we got her tested so early on that I knew she was okay. And for, it's funny, but for some reason, my daughter, every time she takes a urine sample, it comes back. She has high protein. And so then my, I start to freak out. And apparently there's a condition that teenagers can have where if they don't take their urine first thing in the morning before they really get moving, it'll give a false read. Oh, I didn't know this. I know, right? That's and, interesting. Yeah, so if she's getting a urine test, it literally has to be first thing in the morning. I take it at home, and then I take it into them. And she's doing better when she's tested that way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it comes okay. back. Her numbers are great. Yeah, we had we had a scare, what, a couple years ago? Well, it was elevated. She was all panicking and all that stuff. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's calm down. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's get another test let's let's see all options and everything came back negative so yeah thanks for so can you kind of give us a brief summary of your disease and how it works sure um as i said polycystic kidney disease is passed genetically what it is is it's fluid filled sacs on your your kidneys and this, this comes from some mixed message in your cilia inside of your kidneys that causes these fluid-filled pockets. And unfortunately, those pockets damage good kidney tissue. It occurs very slowly over time. It doesn't occur rapidly. Is why you see people that have polycystic kidney disease they you know you look at them and you say well gee you look fine there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with you yeah and when they test you you know you you might test in a normal range your gfr might be 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 normal your amount of protein in your blood doctors don't always consider to be real significant but over a period of time most of us like myself in my late 50s, early 60s, that um, becomes uh, the, the end of good kidney function. So yeah. uh, your kidneys, in fact, fail, and you're faced with a choice of going on uh, dialysis uh, right away or getting a kidney transplant. And uh, a more modern doctor, someone that's, more concerned for your welfare might see where your GFR gets down to 25 to 20% function and recommend a preemptive kidney transplant and if they don't do that ask about it yeah don't don't be afraid to be your own best advocate ask about preemptive transplant if, if it's a good thing for you and if you don't get the answer you desire get a second opinion it's so true, so true. Words of wisdom, Jim. Right. So I have right. a question. Was there anything you had to do in your 20s to up towards your 60s to maintain function? Did you have to be careful with diet, anything of that nature? Oh, yes. Um, I was very fortunate. I'm, I'm glad you asked me that. I was very fortunate because of my family's history, I lost five members of my family, including my dad, 
to PKD. Right away, uh, my family doctor referred me down to IU Health in Indianapolis, and they took blood from me once a month. They put me on a renal diet. They put me on high blood pressure medication, and all of this helped me a great deal. And that's why you see the long stretch between being diagnosed at the age of 25 and ending up on dialysis at the age of 58 because they, they took real good care of me. And as it turned out, I was listed in two or three places, University of Wisconsin, Rush Medical in Chicago, and IU Health in Indianapolis. And the IU people were the people that came up with uh, the kidney first that actually, you know, was a, was a transplant. I don't know uh, about you, Christina, but I had experiences where I had false alarms where the, yep. the transplant center would call me and they, they would say, you know, you're eighth on the list, don't eat or drink anything and be ready to get up here, you know, in a moment's notice and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then invariably they would call back, you know, five, six, seven o'clock in the evening and they would say, well, the, the two kidneys went to other recipients, so... Yeah. Uh, you can go ahead and get something to eat now. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, but I, the, the thing that you have to realize when that happens is that means you're at the top of the list. Yes. Your turn is coming. Yep. And whatever it is you're doing, you're doing right. Keep doing it. I actually had a phone call, and it was pretty funny. Um, at this time, I was probably like 27. So I was young, and I was really dumb. But I got this phone call, and they they said, we've got to offer you this kidney. And they said, but it's a questionable kidney. And I said, okay, what does that mean? And they were like, it's a 30-year-old male. He died in prison, and we cannot guarantee that his blood is clean. Oh, boy. And so in my head, as a 27-year-old, I'm thinking... I want to date him, but I don't want his kidney. <laughs> I was thinking he must be really attractive. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, being young and dumb, of course you want that bad guy. But but I turned that one down, luckily. That was probably a good choice. Now, see, someone my age, 67, 68, pushing 70, we might seriously consider taking that because we might not get another offer. It's true. That makes perfect sense. You know, so the the, the, the rule I want to um, establish with, with our audience tonight is that, you know, whatever is age appropriate for you, when in doubt, take the kidney. I agree. Yeah, I think absolutely. that's amazing. So we got some wrap. We're going to wrap up here soon, Jim. Can you throw anything out that you want that you feel is important? Yeah, can I tell one shaggy dog story about why I became a kidney advocate? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, my dad, the last month of his life, was hospitalized uh, here in Hammond, Indiana, at St. Margaret's Hospital. And even though he was sick, and even though he was not able to come home, they would still ask him to go talk to patients about peritoneal dialysis. Wow. My dad was one of the first PD patients here. 
in northwest Indiana. And I would go visit him every day during the last month of his life. And I was there one day when they asked him, they, they said, would you please go down the hall and talk to this gentleman about the virtues of peritoneal dialysis? Well, we struggled to get him out of bed. We got him in one of those wooden wheelchairs with the really bad wheels. And oddly enough, they said to me, you wheel your father down so he can talk to this guy. Wow. He and I are in the hall, right? And we're going down the hall and we're zigzagging our way because the wheels on this thing don't work very good. And I don't know what I'm doing. So I've got my arm wrapped around him and, and I'm trying to maneuver him down the hall. And we meet this gentleman finally. Now, I'm more like my mom. I'm an extrovert. I, I, I love to talk. My dad was quiet. If you went out to, to dinner with him, you better be prepared to carry the conversation because he might not say two words the whole time besides, please order me this and thank you for the meal. Uh-huh. So at any rate, we're, we're, we're with this guy, and my dad talks to him, and then it's time to go back. And my dad's exhausted. Now I got both arms around him on my way back. And we're zigzagging our way down the hall. When we get there, he can't even get out of the wheelchair into bed. They have to use a hoisting device to move him from one place to another to to put him in bed. But nonetheless, he did it. And so I had a very good example. Yeah. So I, I look at that, and when I think about that, I think to myself, you know, I, I have relatively good health, at least compared to the way my dad was at that time. And knowing, knowing that he was probably going to die, and knowing that he was going to have difficulty doing it, yeah. he did it anyways, and he was glad to do it. Well, I'm. So, I'm pretty sure you've got one heck of a proud papa looking down on you. I hope so, yes. Absolutely. That has inspired me to become the kidney advocate that I am. Well, you, I, I can tell you first off that, Jim, you have inspired so many people, thousands, hundreds. I mean, you have just inspired so many people. And I want to thank you for pretty much being there from the beginning and helping me with questions and helping me with the advice and helping me start the group because honestly if it wasn't for you I don't I don't know if I would have and I just want to thank you for that uh, you're, you're very welcome and, and you know uh, living on dialysis is one of the, the hottest groups on uh, Facebook and I'm real proud to be a part of it I'm particularly proud to have you and Christina as my great and good friends Absolutely, uh, and uh, to uh, finish up the uh, interview, Christina, do you want to take it? Yeah, Jim, how are you living on dialysis? Not doing very well, thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jim, and I can't guarantee we won't call you to come back because you're amazing. Thank you for coming today. Absolutely, and thank you, Jim, and uh, keep living on dialysis. I will do that, and you guys... Uh, get a copy of uh, this podcast for me, and I'll spread it around a little bit. Absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Have a good evening. See ya. Bye-bye. I am going to review the Spontan list that I did on July 9th, 2022. I did the Spontan Beast. I did it with Peter Gilchrist and Mary Gilchrist. 
Well, I say I did it with Mary, but uh, let's let's be honest. The second the race started, she booked it, and she pretty much runs the whole thing. Um, we actually crossed paths. She was six miles in. We were three miles in or something. And uh, she said, oh, it's brutal up there. I had to sit down, which we knew it was going to be terrible. So this course was apparently a championship course. It was, again, the Spartan Beast, 13-plus miles, 30 obstacles. And this one was absolutely the hardest race I have ever done. I have done a couple of supers, which are 8-plus miles. And this one, this course, even the best athletes had a problem with this one. Um, it seemed like it went straight up and straight down. And where I excelled is I'm really good at hiking. I don't stop. And most, mostly because when I stop, I start clamping. So if I don't stop, I can't clamp. And I'm really good at just continuing on. So that's why I excelled with Peter. And Peter did amazing at the straightaways. And he kept pushing me. At the straightaways, I would slow down. And as I started to slow down, I would start getting Charlie horses in my legs to where I could hardly even walk. But being a caretaker, I have not had as much time to train for this race that I usually do. But I lost 150 pounds, so I always have a race ready. And uh, I suggest you sign up for one. It's a good thing to always have in your back pocket to be training for. And uh, keep healthy, you guys. Bye. Okay, this is uh, Michael's movie review. And we went and saw Thor, Love of Thunder, or whatever the hell it's called. And uh, basically, we tried to see this three times this week. And Christina was sick twice, and we were actually able to go see it. And uh, so, Christina, what did you think? I absolutely loved it. That's the screaming goats from yeah. from uh, from Amber. Amber and Spot are playing our screaming goats for you guys. That's right. <laughs> if you don't know, they're screaming goats throughout the entire thing. It's yes. actually pretty funny. You'll totally understand when you watch it. I thought it was great. I am usually not a comic show kind of fan, but it was phenomenal. I loved it. What? Did- <laughs> what did you guys think? What did you guys think? I thought it was good. We were very entertained. Of course, the goats were probably my favorite. <laughs> See, and I'm actually going to go the other way. I actually didn't really like this one that much. I thought it was good. I thought it was good. But I honestly thought it kind of dropped the ball. Wow. So I am going to give it... Uh, Two and a half Charlie horses. So Woo! that's if if you guys didn't know, one Charlie horse is an A, five Charlie horses is a if it's an F. So I gave it about a B minus. Okay, guys, what's your Charlie horse? I'd say one and a half. Ooh, one and a half. Scott, do you agree? Yeah, I'd say about that. Okay, what about you? Good time. <laughs> about I'm you, gonna Christina? give it a one. Alrighty, and uh, we are probably going to go see the Crawdad movie next Yeah, week. the Crawdad. So we will be reviewing that one. And uh, so talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. Oh, and there is two end credits.
so make sure you stick around for the one of them's right after the first part of the credits and then at the very very end there's there's a uh, another extra scene so make sure you stick around for that hey guys this is michael and christina and we are going to be talking about in-center dialysis today um so basically we're going to go through the mumbo jumbo of the history of it and so here we go okay so it at the beginning it was basically called the artificial kidney uh, acute and chronic kidney failure which can lead to death if untreated for several days or weeks and it's the illness as old as humanity what does that mean uh, it's been around forever oh okay yeah it's it's, it's as old as whenever however people were, were around Okay. In early Rome and Middle Ages, therapies included hot bath, sweating therapy, bloodletting, which oh. is basically removing your blood and then putting it back. I, that's basically what I could tell by it. And then enemas. Basically to get the liquid oh, off you. That's awful. Um, Dr. Kioff in the Netherlands rode to the creation of what they called the artificial kidneys in the 1930s. At the same time as this research, World War II broke out. The Nazis overtook the Netherlands, and Koff was sent to a Dutch hospital. Um, although the material was scarce, Koff improvised using sausage skins, orange juice cans, and if you remember from previous episodes, he used a washing machine. Yeah, a freaking washing machine. Although, in 1943, although crude... The artificial kidney machine was invented and completed. During the next two years, he had 16 patients, all with little success, until 1945. Uh-huh. A 67-year-old woman in, in a ulemic coma, which is basically a dialysis coma. Okay, wait, they called it a ure- ulemic? Like a urine coma? Basically, toxin coma. And because of all the toxins in your blood, and by doing dialysis, she regained consciousness. Oh. She lived for another 11 years, eventually (gasps) dying from other medical problems. Dang! So, at that time, it worked. That's like a crazy success. Yeah, one out of 16, so. Yeah, well, she she got the... Dr. Koff came to the United States in the late 1940s. They explained his success with the artificial kidneys, but hospital administrators were opposed to this type of therapy. Koff and his associates were forced to perform dialysis in surgical suites after hours. So basically, he oh, made the first dialysis wow. clinic. And this, it was just a nighttime dialysis clinic. Basically. And this all paved the way for the first kidney transplant in 1954. Um, Dr. Scribner designed the first graft on the outside of the skin. Oh. It was a plastic tube connecting the vein to the artery, basically the same as a graft under the skin, but it was in a U-shape on the outside. Oh, my gosh, that's insane. And they called it the Scribner shunt. Oh, my gosh. In 1962, Dr. Scribner opened the first dialysis clinic. He eventually developed the portable dialysis machine, Again, by 1973, 40% were doing home hemo. That is insane. Truly insane. Yeah, because of all these inventions, Koff and Scribner 
went on to eventually develop Halt Lung Machine and then the Artificial Halt. That is insane. These two people were, like, massive They were in the medical field. Oh, my gosh. And it's amazing how much they were denied until they proved that it actually worked. Yeah. Dang. All right. So, like we said, this uh, episode is about in-center. And who better get the uh, advice or knowledge from the... (sighs) Amazing Christina, where she did how many years? Um, well, total almost six. Okay. Yeah. Well, why don't we why don't we go uh why don't we go ahead and start with when you first started in in center? What did you think? Well, so the thing about in center is you go into it very blind. Um, you you don't know what to. To expect, and even if it's explained to you, you have no idea what you're going to go through. And walking in that first day is terrifying. Just absolutely terrifying. And I think, I think, I tend to talk about in-center a lot as being a bad option. And the only reason I do is for me, it's a bad option. I think there... In center definitely has a time and a place for everyone. Right, and Jim, just like Jim, our our guest that we had this week, was basically saying that he basically had had to do in center because of some of his other medical conditions at that time. So yeah. I, I, I hate bashing in center because there is a lot of people that in center works. Yeah, it but really does. But at that same token, I wonder how much their mind would change if they were introduced to home hemo, though. It's true. Like, I I have done all three of them. I've done, I've ran the gamut. And in center by was by far the hardest thing I've done in my life. And... Once you get in it, you're stuck. It's like you're just stuck in this miserable cycle of feeling awful. Right. You you get pretty much sucked dry and you're miserable until you're fluid heavy and then you are repeating the cycle. I do think there are some positives okay. about in-center. Um, it's a great social network for people who are sick sometimes you're sick you're stuck in your house you're stuck in a center you're stuck pretty much by yourself and your family members but it actually you get to go there and you meet other people you hear other stories you get to make friends some of my favorite people in this world i met in center i the very first day I went in center, I sat across from this beautiful lady that was just the meanest old lady you could ever meet. And I broke her. And she became my everything. I sat next to her for years and years and years until the day she passed away. And Crazy enough, she passed away on my birthday. And yeah, like she 
she became my everything. She became family to me. And so I think that there are bonds that are created that, oh, Moose wants to talk, huh? <laughs> there are bonds that are created that don't get broken. And that's amazing. I can totally understand that one. Um, I was uh, thinking about your Uncle Red. And you want to explain... Rick. Well, Uncle Rick, sorry. You want to explain who he was and the process that he went through? Yeah, so my Uncle Rick, believe it or not, was born without kidneys and no bladder. And he he was not supposed to live. And he truly was an inspiration. I wish every single one of you could have met him because he changed my life in amazing ways. But he he ended up being the longest person on dialysis in Utah. And he tried at home for a while when he was young and it wasn't even it wasn't PD. My dad said that they would take gallons of milk and cut the top of it and put the fluid on there and then pour it into his stomach and it just sounds like it was a disaster but they did that as long as they could and then he went in center and he did that as long as he could and this man who wasn't supposed to live at all ended up passing away in his 60s and he was just phenomenal and so you do you do meet people there that you'll never meet anywhere else. Yeah, I can totally understand that because yeah. I see how you interact. You you guys just have a connection. Yeah, so. and there's also like I think it's interesting because I remember after I'd been there a little while, I had this sweet little lady, lady, and her name was Jane, and we're we're all sitting out in the waiting room talking me Jane Jean and another girl named Rochelle by the way hi Rochelle and we were talking about medical history and they asked me how old I was because I was I was the young one in the group and I said oh I was born in 82 and she said I got my colostomy bag in 82 <laughs> And it was just the funniest thing because we all sat there and laughed our butts off over something that it's awful and that sucks. But it was so funny that her colostomy bag was as old as I was. And she's just such a tough, amazing lady, you know. And she actually, I had, I had a bit of a hard time with her just because she had this incredible husband that would walk her in every day. He'd put a blanket down on the chair, and then he'd help her on the chair, and then he would put another blanket over her. He would literally tuck her feet in with that blanket, and it was just the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. And shortly after I had started going there, she decided to quit. And I was so angry. I was so upset at that because I just didn't, I couldn't fathom or understand why that would ever be an option. You have this man who lives for you, who dotes on you every second. You have family members. She would talk about her family all the time and just how incredible they were. You had all of us who just adored her and loved talking to her when she was there. And so I went through a hard time. 
because I truly was upset at her for quitting. And the longer I was in that center, the more I saw people go. And the more I learned, sometimes you earn death. Sometimes it is earned. And it's not a sad thing. It's not a miserable, oh, where did they could have lived their whole life. They could have this, they could have that. No, they fought their life. They did what they were supposed to. It's time to let them go. For people that aren't familiar with dialysis, I know a majority of them are that are listening to this, but for the ones that don't, um, in layman terms, what does quitting mean? Um, quitting means um, stopping dialysis. You can literally go home and not go back. Okay, so basically you're just letting the toxins build up and... Yeah, I have heard that mo- there, are, there are basically two ways that it can happen. And um, I've heard that you can overload on your potassium and have a heart attack. Or you can let your fluids build up and uh, it will fill up your lungs. Okay. Yeah. So... I mean, that, that gives you a good aspect of what mindset dialysis can put you in at times. Yeah. And that's, that's where I am so glad that there are more options than just that one. And yeah. if you are feeling that way, reach out to other people that are on dialysis, especially the ones at home, because there are other options. Yeah. And and I know firsthand where when you were going to start Incentro again. Yeah. And you definitely questioned whether you wanted to keep doing Incentro. Yeah, of you course. You know, it was one of those, I, I don't know if I can keep doing this. And, you know, after doing it for six years total, you know, who am I to tell you no, you can't, you know? Yeah, and that's kind of... That's kind of where where I got to. I got to the point where I saw those people and I saw what they did to stay alive. And right. I saw every single time them feeling awful and not truly living. Now, I've heard a reference to uh, the weekend death. Yeah, Mondays. Okay, what, explain that a little bit. So, basically, everybody... Well, you do dialysis Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And if you don't do it those days, you do Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And Friday, you don't go back again till Monday. So, you've got your entire weekend where you're not doing dialysis, which honestly seems like a blessing you you get more days without it but it's not it is a curse because your toxins build up your fluids build up you become to where you're you're just awful before you go back in that center and so and again if you do it Tuesday Thursday and Saturday then that means Tuesday when you go back, you're feeling the same thing. And so it's hard on our bodies. And our bodies shouldn't go that long without having a treatment. And so when you're pushing it like that, on that Monday, you're risking 
you're risking a lot. Right, and you have to be extremely more disciplined over the weekend. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, and for that's sure. when barbecues are happening. That's when families are getting together. Yeah. You know, that's, that's difficult because, you know, you want to participate in all that stuff, but you also know that you're going three days. Yeah, and it's true. You have your holidays, too, where most centers will just shift you a day and going through a holiday and not being able to enjoy the same way your family members are it's difficult and so you tend to cheat a little more and that can catch up with you and it's not an intentional thing it's totally accidental mistake thing but when we mess up it could be forever right okay to kind of switch uh okay wait first okay i do want to say though that Another upside to in-center is there are amazing, amazing, incredible people in this world who decide to work at dialysis centers and that show up there every single day and they become your friends, they become your family, they care about you, you care about them. And those dialysis techs and those nurses and the relationships you get, they're priceless. Yeah, and I've... I've I've noticed a whole bunch of, you know, every single nurse that pretty much has interacted with you pretty much adores you. Yeah, so. I keep my nurses. My nurses <laughs> all have to stay my friends. <laughs> okay, so when you're doing dialysis in center, mm-hmm. they want you to either have a fissure or a graft. Um, you had a fissure at first. Um, explain that surgery. Um... So, basically, they they go into your arm. They go in wherever they can place the fistula. And they connect a vein and an artery. And then, over the next few months, it grows and grows and grows. And some of them grow big. Some of them have a hard time growing. Everyone's a little different on that. But it grows to where you've got this new area that's pretty large that you can now stick the needles in these needles they're if you stuck it into a regular vein I don't I don't know if it would even semi-close fit in there and so you've got to have something that has a larger capacity of fluid yeah I believe the 15 gauge needles I know they're pretty big um and then basically you have a fissure so you can uh have higher pressure Yep, Doing you your can dialysis. run the machine faster because when, okay. you're, when you're in center, you're running that machine as fast as you can to get off all that fluid because if you're in center and Tuesday you don't get off all your fluid, come Thursday, you're awful. You're feeling awful. And so it's a constant battle of, hey, how much can I take off? How much can I take off? And... So you're constantly yo-yoing with your body. And the faster you run that machine, the harder it is on that body. Okay. Um, So when you had your fissure, you got your transplant, and you had your fissure tied off. Yeah. Why did you have that that tied off? So um, it's funny. At the time, I was young. So, again, here's a mistake. But um, my... The doctor had told me 
hey, this could affect your heart. We need to go in and tie it off. And I had an amazing fistula. We actually had to go in and perform a drill procedure to make my fistula smaller because it just it just was roaring. And so I listened to the doctor, and it was a vascular surgeon that told me that. And so I, I listened, and I didn't ask questions, nothing, and got in, went in and got tied off. And shortly after that, when I rejected, every doctor that talks to me says, why is that tied off? Why is that tied off? And I was like, I don't know. This one doctor told me. <laughs> so they tried to untie it, but... Yes, so they did try to untie it. Okay, and basically they went in with a little tiny little tiny wire yeah, and just kept trying to open it and open it and open it. It was like a, geez, three, four hours surgery. Yeah, it takes a long time. Most uh, vascular surgeons won't do it. And so it's actually difficult to find a doctor who will. And luckily, here in Utah, I have a doctor that just... That's what he lives for. Okay. So, since it wasn't tied off, um, now, so so people know, basically, you have a central port, a a port that goes straight to your heart. Yeah. So, you can run dialysis. Exactly. Now, this is a smaller line, so we can only run... We run a lot slower. ...pressures of 300, 350, but the luxury is we do it at home, so we can and do it more often. No needles. No needles, which which is nice. It's nice, but honestly, well. the risks that come with having this, and like, I've had mine since last, I don't know, October. Yeah, it's been quite a while. So, and I've had mine a long time, and so, yeah, there are so many risks of what can happen to this right now, and that's why... Getting a fistula is option number one because it's the safest way for your body to do dialysis. Now, since we're on that, um, there's a little fact that we found out about that if you have it, that if this thing has healed and you still have your stitches, talk to your clinic about taking those out. You know, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. of course, it's your up to the clinic. Your central line. Yeah, your central line. Um, you've got these stitches that are just poking into your skin she was absolutely miserable and one of our nurses walked by and said hey why don't you take those stitches out and i was like uh please i'll pay what? you yeah and in fact that was geez that was quite a while ago but okay so if you can't get a fissure and we we tried to have surgery to have another fissure placed they weren't able to, so they so they made a graft. Yeah. And it's like I said in the history part of this, it's basically where you're taking a rubber hose and connecting it from the vein to the artery. And I don't know if it's so much a rubber hose. Well, you, I'm not sure though. You right. You um, well, you're putting a silicone hose in your in your arm yeah. that basically acts as a fissure. Yeah, and there there are risks to that. Right, um, because you're putting a fallen object into your body. Yep. And your body doesn't like stuff like that. So yes, and sticking think, it with the needle, there's risks of part of that graft coming off and going off into your bloodstream. Right. So, th- so there's definitely, that's why they say the fistula is the best option. It's because it's just safer. 
Okay, and so... Oh, I mean, and a fistula lasts longer. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and go through uh, some of the side effects that you get from in incense, uh, well, pretty much dialysis in general. Oh, side effects. Okay, so me and my dad, um, so my parents were incredible. When I did in center, I was a single mom, and my parents, they both worked full time and they both showed up any time they could. I swear there were, I thought my mom was going on zero sleep for years, and she probably was. And so every Saturday, my dad would drive me to dialysis and he'd come pick me up. And we actually started a little game after he would pick me up and we would joke about how far can we get before I threw up because I always threw up afterwards. And the reason you're throwing up is because you're so dehydrated? No, I don't think so. I think it's something, I think it just messed with my body to be pulling that much off. The process, um, it looks super easy. Like someone's sitting in a chair and they just got some tubes hooked up, you know. They're just peacefully getting some blood. But it's, it's a dramatic process on your body. And so your body gets worked. So what, what people need to remember is like when you wake up early in the morning and you have to run in and go to the bathroom. You have to run in and go pee. That is your pretty much your form of working dialysis yeah. is basically when you when you're urinating you are getting rid of all those toxins that your kidneys taking care of yeah but fortunately for someone who does have good kidneys those kidneys are working 24 7 so they are constantly removing the toxins you don't need and keeping the good ones and that's kind of that's kind of what i was referencing is you are asking a machine to do three hours of work of what needs to be 48, 50 yes, hours. Exactly. And so, I mean, you are pretty much being sucked dry. Yeah, and, and if you actually think about it, like, it truly is that dramatic to your body. And You're getting everything all in three hours. And it really is, it's a game you kind of have to play. I mean, just doing incense, just doing at home, trying to play with dry weight where... Now this never now with Christina she always loses weight she never she never gains yeah always, always always absolutely always loses weight but with your dry weight if you don't know what that is it's basically what your weight is when we take that fluid off and like say it is seventy well the next day you could be let's say on your period and you weigh a little bit more or you weigh yeah, a little bit less it fluctuates. or you went to the gym that week and the next week you didn't you decided not to go <laughs> you know so you're constantly playing he with that number he is talking about me by the way yeah she she she's been uh we had well she wasn't feeling good for about a week so she's been she's actually doing much better so yeah much better thanks to him he gets me through this stuff all right so Let's go ahead and uh, wrap this up. Uh, basically, In one thing... is an amazing option if that's what works for you. It is. 
And I will also say that in Santo, when somebody stops going, you assume they died. Yes. Ask your clinic. You know, because I can only imagine how many people think in just the little, you know, in just the clinic that Christina goes to, of how many people just think this young lady just stopped coming. See, she and, must have passed no away. One, no one thinks that about me because I'm loud. Yeah, you're loud. And they loud all knew I was going and, home. But, you know, if there's an old patient sitting next to you, and the next day and the next day they don't show up. Yeah. You know, we should all be thinking, oh, yes, they went home. They went home and they're doing home hemo. But it, uh, it isn't what we think. Yeah. And I think if, if any clinics are listening to this, educate your patients on if they did go home. If they did go home, if they're thriving, if they're, you know, out living, you know, put a board up that says, hey, Christina went home. Look at her. She is riding motorcycles and going camping. Yeah. Now, again, Incentral has its place. Home Hemo has its place. PD has its place. Yeah. We definitely have our preference of what direction you should go. Yeah. Ours is PD. Well, ours is Incentral, PD. Well, PD for sure. And then and, Home Hemo. And Incentral. Just hearing Uncle Jim talk about how he had vertigo. Yeah. And there's no way he could have ran a machine on his own. It is a amazing option. It's there for everybody. And so you can't discount it. It really is. All right. So uh, we are going to wrap this up. I appreciate you guys listening. And uh, you guys are is, awesome. Yep. This is Michael. And Christina. And this is Living on Dialysis. Bye. Hey guys, welcome to Christina's Crazy Corner. Today we got Amber and Tyler. And Tyler, you got the idea, right? Yep. Okay, here we go. Alright, so today we're going to be talking about the funniest names, city names in America. Okay, I like this one. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so the first one is called Normal Illinois. Normal? Okay, so I don't want to brag or anything, but I totally think I should live there. I don't think you're very normal, though, Christina. <laughs> I think I think I am, like, the definition of normal. Yeah. <laughs> right? Sure. Ah! Well, you do have a crazy corner. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe normal's not fitting. <laughs> but, so, this city was named after... The um, State Normal University of Illinois. Illinois State Normal University. Oh, oh my gosh. So you can only go there if you're normal. So obviously you didn't go, Amber. I can. Quite normal. <laughs> who likes normal anyway? Well, all the people who live there. All right, what's next? The next, yeah. the next one is Dumber, New Hampshire. Dumber? Amber. Huh? I found your city. That is not my city. 
<laughs> Whose is dumber? Probably, we'll say Mike and Scott's. Okay. We'll send, we'll send our husbands there. They can't defend themselves. <laughs> dumber City. How did that happen? So, it was actually, the founder was a wealthy businessman from Portsmouth. And he named the town after Massachusetts governor, William Dummer. Oh. Wow. Okay, William Dummer. You would think you would change your name. I, I would. Yeah, yeah, you would think so, huh? <laughs> I don't. If I'm being recognized and my last name's Dummer, I'm going to go ahead and give that a change. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, T. All right, the next one is Hell, Michigan. Okay, now I think we all oh. should live here. I think this is where we're all destined. Maybe. Hell, Michigan. Okay, why? Okay, well, yeah, so why? It, it actually, they don't know exactly why it's named Hell, but one of them mean, thinks that it comes from the German word Hell, which means bright. Or it's because of the deep forests found around the area that are just really infested with bugs and mosquitoes. and It sounds like hell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, that sounds, that sounds lovely. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry if you live in hell. Yeah. I'm so sorry if you live in hell. All right. The next one is Rough and Ready, California. What? <laughs> Say it again. Rough and Ready, California. Don't have my daughter say that again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're never allowed to say that again. <laughs> Imagine living there. You have to say it all the time. I live in Rough and Ready. Oh my gosh, I almost want to live there just for that. <laughs> Why? How did it get its name? And don't say it, Tyler. Okay, so it actually, um, they, it was founded in 1849, and it was named um, for a Wisconsin mining company, which was nicknamed Old Rough and Ready. Oh, wow. Oh. Old, rough, and ready. Old, rough, and ready. Okay, well, yeah, he's ready to go. <laughs> All right, the next one is Chug Water, Wyoming. That Chug one. Water. Okay, to a dialysis patient, that one sounds delightful. I'm sure it does. I will chug water all day if you'd like me to. I wonder to. if it's hot there. I bet they have hot summers at least. Wyoming isn't hot in the winter. Yeah, maybe it's like insinuating you're going to have to chug a lot of water. Well, actually, the chug is actually a stream that runs through the herding valley of the place. And that's what they named it after was the Chug River. Oh. We really read into that. <laughs> Yeah, you you guys did too much. <gasps> we gave that too. a life of its own. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next one is called Random Lake, Wisconsin. Random Lake? Yep. R random. Like, huh? Just so random? Just some random lake. Have you yeah. been there before? 
I, I've been to a few random lakes, but I don't know if I've been to that random but lake. But have you been to the random lake? <laughs> I have and not. That's actually what the town's named after, is a lake that's actually named Random Lake. They named the body of water Random Lake. And then the town was named Random Lake after it. <laughs> Makes you wonder if the person knew, like, I'm going to do this for comedy. Or if it was just like, yeah. I got nothing else, so random lake it is. Just some random lake. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the next one is called Why Arizona. Why? <laughs> <laughs> no, why? Uh, the reason it actually was named Y is because they had a Y intersection with um, State Route 85 and 86. And so it was actually the center of the town was where that was at. But now it's a T section. And they just kept the Y. W-H-Y now. It's called Y, Arizona. Why? Well, I don't know. Hey, where, where do you live, Amber? Why? What? What city do you live in? But why? I live in why? What? Why? <laughs> <laughs> the next one actually goes with this a lot. It's why not Mississippi? <laughs> why not? At least that Wait, one's positive. Why, why not? That is so a positive I'm statement. Why? Where do you, why do you, where do you live, Christina? Why not? But why? I live in why? Why not? <laughs> I would so, rather, okay, which one would you rather live in? Why or why not? Why not? Where was why not? Uh, Mississippi. Probably. She's going based on the state. Why not? We were just know. going on names. <laughs> Arizona but, is hot. It's true, but we were just going on names, silly girl. But if I had to choose, why not, why not? <laughs> exactly. But yeah, the, they actually don't know why it's named why not. So they just are kind of like, eh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Should you change it? Mm, why not? Mm. Yeah, that's okay. amazing. This is actually the one that was on the front of the page that I got interested in. It's called Boring Oregon. <laughs> Oh, boring Oregon. I bet it's not boring at all. Yeah, Oregon's they actually beautiful. said it's the opposite. Like, it's really bustling. Like, it's, it's a very, like, exciting place to live. Maybe it's like, uh, it's like it's a misdirect. Like, oh, you don't want to go there. It's boring. <laughs> yeah. The reason it's actually named Boring was it's named for William Harrison Boring, a former Union soldier and farmer who settled the area in 1874. And it's named after him. <laughs> why, wow. couldn't, can't, why couldn't they have chose, like, Harrison instead of Pork? <laughs> That's true. But really, like, how cool is that as a kid to grow up and be like, I live in boring. Especially, yeah, like, so especially like emo teenage kids. That's, like, everything yes. they live for. Like, oh, I can't wait to get out of boring. I boring. Yeah. Okay. Boring. The next one is called Breadloaf, Vermont. Why do you think it's named Breadloaf? Breadloaf? I don't know, but it makes me hungry. I don't know. What do you think, Amber? Like a loaf of bread? Breadloaf, yeah. 
They must make delicious bread. That's my thought. That's what I'm hoping. They actually aren't known for their baking. It's known what? because they have a hillside that's shaped like a bread loaf. It's a bread loaf. I gotta Google this. <laughs> I know, right? I want to see this. Bread loaf. But yeah, they have a writer's workshop there, though, that they actually, at their college, uh, Middlebury College, that's actually, that's mainly what they're known for, not their name. Oh. I don't want, I don't know why not, like, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, what you so, got, girl? the next one is Accident Maryland. <laughs> okay. Accident Maryland. I don't know how to respond to that one. Yeah, it was an accident. I don't know. <laughs> that's basically what they think. That's what they think um, is the origin of the name. They don't know exactly, but they think that one person that was looking for a certain piece of land accidentally marked that one off, and... <gasps> Named it accident because they went to the wrong place. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. Like, you marked off the, all this area. This is an accident. Name it. <laughs> that's really cool. Yep. And then next we have Hump Tulips, Washington. What? Hump Tulips? Hump Tulips. Is it a type of tulip? Nope. There's no hump tulips. Nope. How how would you come up with hump tulips, Amber? I don't know. It was actually the Native American tribe that the, the I don't know how to say it. It's Chahalis tribe gave the nearby river the name hump tulips, which may mean hard to pull, which is navigate with a in a canoe. Oh. And so. Um, or it also means chilly region. And so that's why they named it hump tulips. Because it's chilly? Because, well, no. It's what the, the Native American tribes named it hump tulips, which they're trying to understand what it means in their culture. Yeah. Wow, hump tulips. Where do you live, that's Amber? Not in hump tulips. Oh, Maybe. I do. I live in hump tulips. <laughs> It's an amazing place. The next one I really like. I might like. live in bread loaf, but you can live <laughs> in yeah. I'd Why? Probably... Why not? <laughs> I'd probably You're live... boring. Oh you live in boring. I'm done. I'm done. I give up. Okay. The next one is Nameless Tennessee. Nameless? Nameless? How did that happen? It's like a John Doe, you know? Nameless. It's like one day someone found it and they're like, dang, we don't have a name for this. It's nameless. <laughs> they actually don't know the origin of this name either. But one thing is that they think that local residents uh, left a blank space on the map to put a post office. Oh. And the federal government gave this place the name uh. nameless because they didn't name it themselves. Oh, so they left that, it blank. Or they say that it could have also been taken from in protests after Yankee feds rejected a name chosen to honor Confederate general. Hmm. So they were like, eh, let's just name it nameless. <laughs> it's 
kind of like a last minute thought. Wow. Okay. Nameless. All right. And the last one is very confusing. It's ZZYZX California. No way. Yeah. Zizig. <laughs> oh, I've seen Zizix. Zizix. I think it's on the way down to San Diego. Uh huh. Oh my gosh. Why? It's um, a fly speck in the Mojave Desert, and it was known as Soda Springs, but an entrepreneur who hoped to make it into a mineral springs, into a tourist spot, changed the name into something more memorable. <laughs> oh, yes. oh, so geez. they changed it to the, whatever it is. I wonder how they pronounce it. I don't know. But now it's like a study center. Like California State University campuses um, actually reside there. Reside there. But now this is, it used to be, um, that university used to be the last name in the index for California. Oh. Now it's, and that's why they changed the name to that. So that would be the last name in the index. That's insane. That one's crazy. Okay, well, with that, guys, we are done. So join us next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.